Hello and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray and this is the 85th episode in a weekly series called Fifth Column Convos. Here with me is Andrew Marsh, founder and president of Fifth Column Games. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks. It's glad to be here. Last week's episode was a discussion featuring New York Comic Con interviews with Mac Walters from Mass Effect 3, 1 and 2, The Red vs. Blue Crew, and Legacy of Truth. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, October 17th, and we are going to talk about Andrew, Fifth Column Games, NBA 2K13, My Life, and Gaming. So let's start with news of the week. What is your news of the week, Andrew? Well, uh, my new my company's newest game, NBA 2K My Life, just launched. Uh, I guess it launched really in soft launch, which means it didn't get any traffic last week, but it's starting to get its first set of traffic, so that's exciting. Well, exciting. We're definitely going to talk about that later, too. Excellent. Also, XCOM is awesome, and I play it too much. <laughs> yes. Uh, actually, next week I have someone from... XCOM, one of the developers on, and it is very popular. A lot of people have been waiting for that. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen an XCOM, so <laughs> glad you're enjoying yeah. it. Yes. I heard that you and Mike just went to GDC Austin. Is that something you've done recently? Yep, that's me. Okay. And what did you do there? Well, uh, we we did a couple of things. Uh, we're currently partnering with a company called Gree on a mobile title. And they invited us to come join them to talk about uh, building a game development studio. So we gave a talk there about that. It was a roundtable discussion. And I think it went pretty well. Uh, and then we went and schmoozed with people trying to look for more business for the company. Okay. Those are fun. Work and pleasure together. Always nice. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Plus, uh, GDC always seems like something that would be fun to, to be able to kind of meet with other people that are in the business and, and share your, your stuff. Yeah, I've been, I mean, I haven't been to GDC online before, but I've been to the last six or seven GDCs in San Francisco, and they're definitely very useful and very fun. Nice. Now, in my research, I've come across mention of a jazz band. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about this jazz band. Is this true? Are you a player? Yeah, I play the valve trombone, the most wow. popular instrument in jazz, in a eclectic little free jazz combo that plays at a Vietnamese restaurant in Oakland every every other Friday. So it must be a really big Vietnamese restaurant to have a whole band. Uh, well, you know, we play small, but um, no, it's it's actually pretty big in there. Cool. Do you have a name for your band? We do not. That is how oh. professional we are. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> I think we have like a sitar in our Vietnamese restaurant, so you're kind of an upgrade. I like that. Well, you haven't heard us play yet. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's start with your associations with gaming. Uh, did you play as a child, and what kind of got you interested in gaming? Well, I mean, I was weaned on computer when I was very, very young. Uh, I played... God, what was my first game? It was probably this little fraction jumping game to learn math better. But I mean, I, I played the original SimCity, I played the original Civilization, the original Wolfenstein, like Commander Keen. I was on video games by the time I was four or five years old playing early PC on my IBM PC Junior. I played a Rogue. That was one of my first games. Just uh, oh. an old, like, you are a happy face ASCII character walking around in a turn-based, randomly generated dungeon-style RPG, trying to survive for more than 10 minutes before you are killed by something too strong. <laughs> um, generally an ogre. Uh, <laughs> so I've been playing games a long time. I, I picked up programming as a kid, too, probably around six or seven years old, maybe five. I started you know, tooling around with basic programming, and uh, I enjoyed it, although I didn't really get serious about it until college. But um, you know, I've always liked programming and I've always liked games. And whenever I had a project where I could do programming and I got a choice of what I could do, I always ended up writing a game. And I wasn't sure about the industry for a while, but as soon as I got into it, I was pretty hooked. Six-year-old uh, programming, that, that's just unreal. What kind of things would you make? What is your first like programming? How does one become an intro programmer? What do you make? Well, there are two things you can do. You can write the 
10, print Andy is great, 20, go to 10, screensaver, um, <laughs> which is the, the, the basic programming version of spamming your screen with Andy is great, which is, of course, the first thing you do when you're four years old and you work <laughs> on the program. Um, I, I had a book where you basically just typed in, line by line, a program that someone else had written. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how I learned. It was like there's a lot, like a basic programming game about like playing a text-based Spider-Man, and you would type out the, you know, 800 lines of code into it, and if you made mistakes, you'd have to figure out what you did, and then you would see it run, and you'd kind of learn by participating. I didn't really understand what was going on very well, but I started to learn, you know, when I was a little older, like six or seven, started to get a feel for like, oh, I can do basic things. I think the first thing I tried to write of any sophistication was Monopoly, but I didn't know how to do randomization, so it was a repeatable experience. <laughs> and I spent most of the time trying to build card art out of ASCII code. So it was definitely like, I didn't, I didn't product manage well back then. <laughs> it sounds like me uh, with HTML. That's kind of how I feel about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basic programming when you're, when you're early is a lot like HTML in that you're really just trying to put stuff on the screen and play, play around with it. And you don't do anything sophisticated until you figure out what that is. And then you're like, oh, there's a real depth here. I can write a joystick driver and make a real-time game. But basic is so, it doesn't have a good language for like viewing what you're doing. It doesn't really have an integrated environment. So it's really hard to create anything of complexity, but it's enjoyable to create simple things. So it seems like you were destined to be a game designer, really. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I was destined to be a, a, some kind of, I don't know, creative craftsman. Like, I, I wanted to build things, and I wanted them to come from creativity. And software is just the easiest way to build things quickly. You build big, complicated things, but building a bridge, it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my research, it seemed that you worked on Iron Man, which is a pretty cool title. And... Uh, What's the first company, and tell me about the first game that you ever worked on. Uh, so my first game was pretty quick out of college. I went to Page 44. This is my first professional experience as a programmer. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Page 44, and I was working on the Gretzky hockey franchise. Oh. Um, Page 44 is actually a really cool company. That's where I met one of my co-founders, uh, Adam Lipsky. Uh, we started basically within a month of each other. We were both... You know, he's a little, uh, a little older, but we, this was both of our first uh, game jobs. This was back in like 2003 or something, 2004. And it was a cool because it was this mid-sized company. By today's standards, by console game standards, it was a little small. It was like 40 people, 50 people, maybe even less. And there were some really, really quality senior people. And these games, they bit off more than they could chew with these games. Not really, but they were big games, and we were competing with like EA and oh, wow. um, if this was a Sony project, but we were a small company working for them. So we were competing with EA and uh, 2K, which at the time I think was Sega Games. I think that lines up. Um, or sorry, Visual Concepts, which was making for Sega. I don't remember. It was something like that. But either way, there were competitors of the big 200, 300-person shops, potentially, with lots of like pre-existing content and stuff. And so as a, as a pretty you know, early programmer, um, we all got to get our feet really wet. I got to, the first thing I ever wrote were like the rules of hockey. And like most people um, mess around and it, like mess around for two months before they really get to do something of note. And I was writing some AI and I was writing some like the line changing stuff, the position of goalies. I ended up taking over the entire game UI, which in a hockey game is pretty sophisticated. There's lots of uh, rosters and, you know, franchise mode and simulations and stuff. And there were lots of really, really good resources at the company that helped. But it's not like we had a UI toolkit. This was all just like programming in C. Like we used C, not C++, nothing object oriented. Uh, So it was, yeah, it was a lot of work, but it was incredibly rewarding. Spending like a year and a half on a project to make a game where at the end of the day, my code was absolutely part of the final project. I can see that being both wonderful and horrible because on one hand, you have such a small company, they need every person to be really versatile and to really do something to contribute. On the other hand, you're just getting your feet wet and now there's a lot of pressure on you. Well, yeah, it isn't, I mean, I kind of love pressure. It makes things fun. But for me, I just feel like it's an experience that everyone who does this for a living should have. Like, 
if you're going to pay your dues, pay your dues in a really rough way because you get like after you get through something like that, after you stay up for three months in a row and one of your coworkers who's 25 nearly has a heart attack from stress and overwork and too much Red Bull, <laughs> like the, the stuff that you go through later on in life seems, seems a little easier. Like when the first job you ever have is so important and so specific and like using a mixture of computer science and math and then just good programming and craftsmanship, like it, and working with peers who are really gifted and are in the same place as you and everybody has to be a home run hitter and it's, it's for some reason they all are. It's, it's hard to repeat that type of thing. But luckily in the games industry, they're just, it attracts a lot of really good talent. And back then when it was console was the king, there was almost everybody was like really talented at math and science as well as the sort of computer science and understood game design and understood how to build things. And it was kind of a, a difficult to enter field, but also one where you were surrounded by people who were pretty cool and very good at their jobs. Hmm. So you prefer that trial by fire? Yeah, I think trial by fire is a good way to go, especially when you're young and you can take it, except for, you know, the guy who had a heart, almost had a heart attack. But the <laughs> that was the Red Bull, is, though. Yeah, that was mainly Red Bull. It, it, was, a, it was also the Sony party, so that, that, that was good. <laughs> um, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, what it comes down to is like, I feel, it, it, it's, it's like playing a, it's like playing football in high school or something like that. It, you go through hell so that everything after that feels a lot easier. You feel just, you know, life is doable. Okay. Well, it's an interesting transition from the console games and Moby uh, to the social games and to the mobile games. Why the shift and uh, why was your choice to kind of go that direction in your designing? Well, um, I worked with someone at Secret Level on Iron Man. Iron Man was probably the best. It, it was the it was it was it was the best game I've ever worked on. It was a great team. It was kind of an amazing, like it was cheap to develop, and we'd spend no time doing it, and it was still a AAA product. The game itself, you know, it wasn't all that great. We missed some things, like we didn't build level design tools for the level designers, so all the levels are a little boring. But it was fun. You could fly around. It was optimized, and it ran. You know, everything about it, engineering wise, was really good, and the design was pretty good. But the lead of that project was this guy, Jeff Seng, and he, was, he left, I actually left first, and then he left right after me to go, and to go found a company uh, called Crowdstar. Uh, at the time, it was called Hotberry, which I requested they change. <laughs> uh, but he, would, he asked me kind of out of the blue, like, hey, do you know anybody looking for, you know, entry level, or sorry, um, first, first employee status of this company? And I'm like, you know what? I kind of am. I, I, was, I was doing some stuff, but I wasn't too happy with it. So I'm like, I, I'd, I'd like to give it a shot. I, I really liked working with him. I think he's, he has a, a, some serious abilities as a designer, and I wanted to go work with him again. And I've never been a big – I mean, I love console games, but I've never been somebody who cares that much. I think medium gives – Social games was just another medium to do interesting things. I used to play BBS games as a kid. I love board games. I love D&D. Like, it doesn't matter if you have a piece of paper and a pencil or if you have like the, the beefiest PC ever. You can still make great games there. Is there a different process in the design of, you know, let's say a title like Iron Man or, you know, something like Pawn Stars? Is there is a difference in how you create that process? in the process or is it just kind of where it ends up reaching its audience? I mean, yeah, there's a pretty different process. Social games are very different than console games, but social games are also different than each other. It's, and I think process is, it's a bit of a personal thing. Like I doubt that, you know, what I'm going to say is general to other people. Even within this studio, I don't think people design things the same way and you change and grow with each project you do. When I was working on Pawn Stars, it was not like I had not worked as a. I, I'd done. I've designed some games in the social speed media, but I had been most of, spent most of my career as a pure engineer, uh, doing design related engineering like gameplay and AI. But still, being my job title, being engineer in the gameplay side of things. So um, you know, to think. The way design changes is almost more about the person in the job growing and changing. Uh, but definitely, like, the scope of a game like Iron Man is enormous. 
uh, like when you go and make a game like that, you have to know what you're going to do and you have to like schedule it and you have to be right. Like <laughs> it's weird because when you're making something small like Pawn Stars, you can release it kind of early, you can tweak it afterwards. I mean, Pawn Stars didn't become the game that is successful and what it is today until probably, you know, between seven months and a year after it was released. Okay, so you can get that feedback and sort of modify versus like an Iron Man where it comes out shipped perfect stamped, it will never change, it's immutable at that point. Right, and, and also because the difference is like Pawn Stars could be done in, you know, a, a f tens of thousands if not low hundreds of thousands of lines of code, and Iron Man is probably 500,000 to a million and a half lines of code, and the cost and the number of engineers and all that stuff is order, orders of magnitude more. You can't take chances with engineering budget, you know? You can't be like, oh, we'll prototype this and try it and, and kind of iterate and do whatever because that takes years. So unless you're, you know, um, unless you're Valve uh, or Bungie or something, you can't just sort of try things and make it perfect. You have to have a plan and you have to execute that plan. And at some point you have to draw a line and say, it is now four months from the movie. Anything that is not done today no longer is happening. Doesn't matter how great it is. Doesn't matter how important it is. There is that is cut. Period. And no one can argue with that because otherwise the game won't ship. Versus a game like Pawn Stars, where it's like, oh, well, that'll take another three or four days. Uh, okay, we can do that. We'll just crunch and get that done. You know, we'll make it happen. I notice that, let's say, composers in the music, uh, the score, the people that write the scores for a video game, don't get the same respect or the same uh, kind of admiration that people who make scores for movies or for other, you know, let's say widely, more widely reaching or more highly considered artistic um, endeavors. Do you find that people look at social games and say, you know, oh, social games, they sort of have this kind of lighthearted sort of stigma about them that people kind of treat them, you know, not necessarily as serious as the quote-unquote, you know, regular games. Do you get that from people, or what do you think about the social games versus, you know, just say your PC or your console game? Uh, I guess I feel like, to me, those are two pretty different questions. There's music and games, and then there's the difference between social and console games. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the social to console game thing, abs I mean, absolutely. They are completely viewed from both inside the industry and outside the industry as different. There's a lot of pride and a lot of arrogance on both sides of that. I've been both those people. <laughs> when I first came to social games, there was this idea that social games, I mean, it was pretty early. It was four or five years ago. So social games weren't, there wasn't much there yet. There wasn't like a lot of definition as to what it was going to be. I think Mob Wars was out, but I'm not even sure Mafia Wars was yet. It was like early. Uh, Zenga wasn't a name anyone had really heard of. Uh, it was pre-Flash. It was still all HTML. Um, so, but I came from a place where I'm like, Ugh, this is a joke, you know, webs, apps, this is all child's play. Let's make some real games. Let's, let's do sophisticated stuff. And then you see things where people made toys just blow us out of the water. And our first successful game was like a, a lightweight aquarium simulator, our first truly successful game after we made some pretty serious, like, you know, BBS style war simulators and no one cared. Hmm. So... It's you definitely like the co people from the console industry, I think, look down on social games as sort of this joke. And they're starting to learn that's not true, obviously. You know, things have changed a lot uh, when they look at their numbers and we see things fail and fail and fail again coming out of big studios, whereas the little guys or the new big guys are destroying the old big guys in terms of rep, profit, and stuff. Like Zenga's market cap was higher than EA's or something ridiculous. That's absurd, mm -hmm. but it's you know that kind of or they were certainly higher than uh, like 2K's and some of them or Take Two, some of the like mid-sized big giant console companies. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like that's ridiculous. They've only been around for three years, but they make more money. So, and the community kind of sees it the same way. Like I took a lot more pride in saying I make games when I made Iron Man than when I made you know, Happy Pets. It's, it's not the kind of thing, like, my friends didn't play Happy Pets. Other people played Happy Pets. You know, lots more people played Happy Pets, but they weren't, like, the kids I grew up with. The kids I grew up with played some Iron Man. They played some Gretzky hockey. They certainly played games that were similar. So 
I had a lot more pride in the bragging about who I am. There's much less of a, I don't know, it, it's, it's less like being a movie star. Not that it really was, but. I think I understand. Yeah. What inspired you to form your own company, Ant Mesh? And is there a story behind that name? Uh, sort of. I mean, yeah, there's a story behind it. Um, the company Ant Mesh was, I mean, I've wanted to start a company for a long time. Uh, me and Mike and Adam, uh, those are my other two founders. We have been, we've been based, I mean, I met Mike in high school in a, in a high school computer programming class. And I met Adam in our first job, in my first video game job. And since maybe a year after I met Adam, we've been sort of like talking about forming a company. We actually came up with the name Fifth Column Games as a Halo clan that turned into a, a potential name for a video game company back in like 2005. Oh. So we've been talking about that forever. Um, I've always wanted to start a game company, but it's, been, it's always been something that's like, eh, I'm not sure. But I was serious about making games, and I wanted to make games, you know, good games that care about the gamers. But console games, they deliver that sometimes. You know, a lot of console game companies do care a lot about the quality of the game. They're selling quality. Um, but I've always had a bit of a, like, you know, when you're, when you're strong opinion and you're creative and you want to build things in a certain way, you get in battles with executives and stuff like that. And I always felt like I never was really doing what I believed was right. Like, good things, sure, but it was never, I, I never felt like the priorities were set the way I believed them to be set. And in social games, there are lots of things like, there's a lot of lessons to learn, but there are also a lot of lessons to teach that no one was listening to. You know, you come from the console game world and you're like, you guys need central tech. And they don't listen. They're like, we don't need central tech. What is that? I, I, I've made plenty of, you know, web apps. I know better. And you're like, you don't know. These are games. These games have, they're not web apps. You need a central technology. You need to have proper, like, server development. I mean, most people still use PHP as their server tool. We do also. And it's kind of crazy that, like, we're doing some sophisticated, scalable architectures on PHP and, like, Apache. And it's, it's strange that people still do that in a sophisticated world. Um, so a lot of wanting to start a company was wanting to do things a certain way, not necessarily thinking that someone else was wrong in the way they wanted to do it, just saying, I want to make games, I want to make a lifestyle company, which means, and I didn't know the term at the time, but which means I want to make a company about making games. It's not focused on making money. It's focused on making games, enjoying your job. I want to be the programmer I always wanted to be, but was never allowed to be. Hmm. Okay, and then Antmesh. So, originally, like, the story behind Pawn Stars is that Pawn Stars, I was actually consulting on it for another company. Um, they had never really, well, I don't, they made a social game, I think, but never one with a brand. Pawn Stars, the show, was, turned out to be an incredibly powerful show. I was out of work, consulting, enjoying my time off, but thinking about starting a company, trying to figure out how to do that, and this was sort of a side thing. And then I was working with A&E, who are the, the A&E networks are the people who own History, which, own, which does Pawn Star mm -hmm. stuff. And, uh, you know, the project release was a bit of um, it was a bit of a crap shoot, a crap show. And, like things sort of didn't work out in a lot of different ways. And I was sort of there consulting on the design, and I said, "Well, I think you're kind of you're, you're kind of done here. I don't think there's a lot you can do to recover this project." And uh, the head of game said, "Well, you you know about the technology that needs to be built here. Can you do it?" And I'm like, "Not really, but I can try." So she sort of gave me a a boost in the direction I needed to go to do that. I had to hire people. Uh, my brother, Sean, is a, he's a businessman. He does a lot of software companies. He's uh, been in this industry a lot, not games specifically, but software a long time. Mm -hmm. So he helped me found my company by doing all the business development, all the contracts. He has access to like legal and accounting. He has pre-written contracts. He's very quick at this. Oh, nice. Uh, AntMesh was a project name that incubated in his company which is called 1522.com, which is his large company that he uses to incubate all his other companies. And AntMesh simply was, uh, I was doing the front end and he was doing the back end development of the first project we we're working on. So it's just A-N-T, which are my Andy, my middle initials T, and then M is the middle, both of our last names, and his name is Sean. 
So it's Ant Mesh, Sean Eric Marsh. So, you know, it's just reading from side to side. And it just happened to be like a cool sounding word. He thought of it. And I'm like, cool, let's do it. And we just, that was the name of our first server, you know, so we kept it. And then we decided when he's, he's a product guy and he doesn't, he's not really a game guy. So when we decided to turn this into a, a corporation and do it, you know, for real, he's like, I don't really want to be your business developer, which is what my role would be there because I don't, I'm not a games product guy. So we parted ways and that's when Mike and Adam came on board and we went back to our old original name of Fifth Column Fifth after much debate. Okay. Well, you were, you were speaking about Pawn Stars, and I'd like to, to tell a little bit about that to the listeners. Uh, basically, you okay. build a pawn shop and improve it with different decorations, and then you can kind of haggle for things in it. And yep. it's, it's, it's a lot like, I was wondering, and I'm glad you mentioned that, if it was going to be somehow similar, if it was tied in with the Pawn Stars, the A&E uh, show on TV, and if it was based on that, or they somehow were using that as a springboard to sort of create this. So I'm glad you mentioned the show, and I, I wondered if that was direct kind of directly tied to that. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it was a paid-for-hire show. Like, they paid the the entire development costs. I mean, I didn't have any money. I was a guy working as a consultant. So they paid the entire development cost, and they get the lion's shares of the profit. It's based entirely on the show. The first thing I did when they're like, hey, we want you to consult on this game, is I sat down and watched two seasons of it. Um, so, and, so, like, it's it's entirely about the show and it, it, it stars the talent it uses as much it uses all the the items on the game that, that people come into your pawn shop and sell are i think a hundred percent from the show although oh, wow. we might have finally moved away and actually done stuff from the shop itself that aren't in the show but there's just so many episodes of the show and so much content that we've never run out we have hundreds of items and they're all from they're all featured on tv Excellent. Well, you can double check my numbers and tell me if these are right, but it seems like uh, this has done very well. It's in the top 10 ranked Facebook games ever, number four strategy games on Facebook. And I believe you guys had like a record year as far as I'm understanding. Well, it's only been out for a year and a half, so I'm sure we had a record year. <laughs> well, June, um, I thought was somehow important as far as your... June was our top grossing month, I think, ever. And we are actually, we, we, we are, yeah, we're, we've got some good numbers. I think, yes, we were number four, um, like, I, ranked, whatever that means. Facebook has some strange ranking <laughs> things. Um, Most played? Is that how they determine the strategy it's game? It's kind of ranking? a combination of played and review rankings. Okay. And maybe how much, you know, they get in advertising, because Zanga games always seem to be up there. <laughs> but I guess they're pretty played. Um, but, uh what it I mean, the most impressive stat from a business development side is that it is the the number two it's the number one tv branded game and maybe the number two branded game in terms of uh income if you look at the uh like the top grossing games on facebook it's the number two branded one after marvel ultimate alliance oh or marvel i guess they that's now marvel avengers or whatever that's pretty good uh company yeah. to be in marvel yeah. So I mean, and that's a that's an that's one of the big dogs. Like, uh, Playdom made that, or I guess EA or somebody. I don't know. Disney or EA made that, and it's just enormously well advertised, and it's a super high end, super expensive game. And the fact that Pawn Stars, it, Pawn Stars isn't near it on the charts. It's just the next one down in terms of uh, games based on a brand. So uh, it's it's A and E's flagship game, and they have a few, but this is that that. It's our flagship game, and it, you know, it does very well for itself. I think it's top 40 grossing on Facebook, period. And if you look above it, it's mostly casino and tycoon games, so it does a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. That must be gratifying to see your kind of first independent game that you create do so well. Yeah, it was very nice. I mean, the, I really like A&E. They do a lot of great things for the game. Uh, so I, I, you know, it's it's hard to take total credit for it, but from a studio perspective, it's great for us to have that under our belt and to just, you know, that that project is probably going to remain a flagship of Fifth Column Games and A and E for years to come. There, I, I, it's it's still growing, although you know, there's seasonal issues with it. It always shrinks after summer, but like the show is still going strong. It's still like a, one of the top shows on cable, and the game is still making a lot of money. It makes more money this month than it did like when it, when it had more people eight months ago because of changes that we've made and improvements. So we're still developing it. We've still got this. We've got a, the team on it today. That's the same size as the team we had it on, like February of last year when we started the project. So 
that's one of the things about Facebook is you just keep developing the game and it changes month to month. You spoke earlier about Gree and uh, you were partnered with them and it's quoted on the Freestag website as saying, Gree platform allows independent developers to leverage Gree's extensive experience in social and free-to-play while accessing the global market. Can mm-hmm. you explain to the listeners what GRI is exactly, maybe even what that acronym stands for, and how that is going to give you those service improvements and help uh, you as a developer? Well, GRI, um, I don't know what the acronym stands for, or if it even is an acronym. It's a Japanese company, and that's where the name came from. Um, it, but it, it could be, I don't know. Um, but basically, GRI wants to be Facebook for mobile. Gree wants to, uh, sorry, it's a games version of Facebook, but for mobile. It wants to be like what Facebook is to games on Facebook, it wants to be on mobile. So based friends lists, uh, invites, uh, feed forms, or like the, the, the feed on the screen, um, the ability to re-engage your players by sending them messages, the ability to cross-promote other games from the Gree platform. And Gree is, they're, they're very big and successful in Japan, and they bought an American company called Aurora Faint. Uh, that d- did a platform that had a bunch of users in a, in the U.S. and they're trying to merge that and use that. To basically, they're they're doing a huge land grab right now to try to get as much of the market as possible. And um, partnering with them is really good for us uh, because we all of our work right now has been done with publishers. Everything that we've done, we have our own games, but we haven't really released them yet. We haven't spent a lot of money or time on them yet. Uh, but all of our games have been done with publishers, so we don't own any of those users. We can't cross-promote any of our other games. So while Pawn Stars and Top Shot both have hundreds of thousands to a million plus users monthly, uh, none of those users are ours. A company like Gree wants content on their platform to strengthen their platform. They have a lot of users, but they're new and they don't have enough partners. So we have this really strong partnership of like, hey, we'll, we'll help make your platform the place to be by, become, by making an exclusive game for it, whereas you're going to help us by giving us like position on your wall and using the money that some of the money that our game makes to pay for additional marketing for your platform in general by bringing people into our game. Okay, that's mutually helpful. Yeah. Now let's move to the the interesting thing that I definitely mm-hmm. want to talk about, which is NBA 2K. Uh, the original game, uh, NBA 2K13, <laughs> it's a pretty neat uh, basketball game where you can do everything from customize your shoes to uh, to have specialized shots and things of that nature. And uh, your NBA 2K My Life uh, simulator-style social game is very innovative in the sense that I don't believe this this has been done before, where you have a social game that interacts directly with a console game, and the consequences um, for one impact the other. Uh, this is set around that hit basketball game series, and I like that you can import your characters from them onto into this game, which is pretty neat. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the attracting more fans by generating rep and skill points, the, the events factor it's kind of neat like you you actually get a chance to invest perhaps in these characters a little more than you would just as looking at them like uh you know players on a a court you can you can have parties and sort of allow them to uh, become friends with you and part of your entourage so explain uh i guess the basics of my life and uh how the cross uh platforming works as far as the things that you do that will impact the nba 2k13 Absolutely. Um, so game mechanics wise, it's actually a pretty eclectic little game. There's a lot going on and we spent a lot of time trying to make it, like make the users understand, help users understand what's going on because we have a lot of details. We tried to make what is your standard tycoon game in terms of like you're building a thing, somewhere between that and The Sims, but also we wanted to make it actually fun to play. Like, you know, you've got your duper collection mechanics that like you have in your games, but we wanted to make those a little bit more visceral and interesting. So we added animations to them. We added uh, another layer of uh, collection where you don't collect money directly. You collect an inter- you correct experience, collect experience, which is reputation and skill, and you use that to get endorsements, which turns into money. So we added another layer, and we tried to we tried to make every piece of it charming. So instead of collecting a bag over a building, an agent shows up and he offers you an endorsement, and your endorsement is your character placed into a piece of art where he's 
you know, climbing a mountain to go to a, like a secret basketball training ground and, you know, you know, in Mongolia or something. We have a lot of clever things like that. We like to give our artists and, uh, well, artists and programmers, everybody, the ability to sort of like flex their creative muscles and go a little out. And we tested some things early with the NBA and with 2K to see if they were down with being overly creative and charming mm-hmm. and that everybody seemed to like it. So we went, we went far with it. So we have like one of the, one of the things you can do is a dunk contest where you compete with an opponent. It's one of the side, like little mini games things we have on the side. But one of the dunks you unlock when you become high level is jumping from a satellite in orbit in like all the way from space <laughs> onto the surface of the earth to, and it's a, an animation that you play it. You know, you play little tiny mini games to make sure that you don't accidentally land in the sea. <laughs> nice. And they loved it, which is awesome. I like, I love working with them. They're gamers at heart, so they saw that and they're like, "This is cool. We like it." Instead of, you know, the fear is always, "I don't know if that's really realistic." <laughs> yes, well, not realistic, but fun. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, game-wise, it's 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 like most Facebook games. It's an amalgamation of different mechanics. It has a pretty simple where an event, which is friends, sort of Sims-style relationship building. You uh, you click on the people who show up, and your character goes up or interacts with them. You build up reputation. You get endorsements. You earn money. You spend that money on new buildings in your estate, and those buildings give you big bonuses to. Uh, when you activate them, they cause everybody nearby to generate skill and reputation and excitement. So the mechanic of the game is that loop, but we tried to make sure everything was animated and colorful and and like people, when you click on a building, it's not just skill points flying out. You walk up to the building and you play basketball on it if it's that, or you lift weights if it's a weight room, or you, um, or you, you DJ a little if it's a DJ booth. And... I mean, it's really, I mean, the mechanics are pretty straightforward. It's just the, we tried to make them, you know, pop a little more, charm. Yes. Uh, The way it ties into the console game is the things that you do in the Facebook game, some of them, there's a little game time where you get to simulate a single game of actual basketball, and there are dunk contests, and there's the events that you have that last like eight hours, and then you restart them. Um, All those things have rewards, and those rewards include rewards that are part of the console game. So the console game has its big currency, which is called VC, which stands for Virtual Currency. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so you earn that in this game, and that's kind of hard to come by. You know, if you, you play a couple of games of the uh, 2K console game, you earn like 50, 100, 200 points if you're really good. You play a couple, you play like a section or so of the Facebook game, and you earned, you know, one to two hundred points as well. Oh, wow. So, so we give a lot. If you play the console game for eight hours, you're going to get a ton. But if you play the Facebook game every day, you're going to get a ton. And that's sort of like us trying to balance out the different, uh, like, ways that people play these things. That makes sense. So you kind of hope for the the tie-in where people will say that they want to play this social game so that they can influence their, their console score and, and get that virtual and back and forth. Yeah, and the virtual currency in the game lets you buy stuff like skill points and shoes and stuff like, and dunk packages where you can get different animations. Also, we have some, the, the other way is every time you do something that is a milestone or an achievement in the game, you get a reward of cash and rep in the, in the Facebook game. Okay. So it's two-way street. If you play one, you get a reward in the other. And it loops, you know, it'll loop back and forth like that. And then the last little thing is, in the Facebook game, there are certain milestones. Like when you reach level 10, you unlock a unique Facebook dunk, dunk package in the console game. Mm-hmm. And if you, there, are, there are NBA stars who come to your estate and requ- like try to do dunk contests and stuff like that with you. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you as you do those things with them, as you interact with them, you build up a, re- a relationship with them. If that relationship goes from acquaintance to friend, some of them, the ones that they had available in the console, will then become unlocked in a console one-on-one setting. So you actually earn the right to play one, 1v1 against them. Nice. Is that your entourage that they talk about? <laughs> yeah, it's, bas- it's one of the steps to, be co- to getting to your entourage. It's kind of a... We, we had fun with that. We were basically saying, this is like... 
this is the Sims for the super, the super famous. <laughs> so you're zoomed out and you don't just get friends. You actually build up people who will join your entourage and whatever you do, they, they do too. They, I always described it as they are an extension of your will. But you can't be horrible to them like you can in the Sims, right? No, not really. I mean, we're, we're, we're half Sims, half tycoon. So we cut a lot of like, the, we simplified a lot of Sims mechanics. We didn't want you to actually sort of directly do a lot. We really wanted them to just follow you around and like cross your arms when you talk to someone or when you play basketball, they go and they play too, that kind of thing. Very good. I like that you don't have to uh, friend everyone on the planet, you know, in order to progress. Uh, which is something that I, it's a complaint I guess I have in social games where you, you end up spamming all of your friends because you need to have a certain amount to be able to level up. And it's nice that it doesn't limit your progress based on that. Yeah, I mean, if you play social games, if you play the most popular social games, like generally the Zango ones, they will almost always have that mechanic of like, you need more friends to be able to progress past a certain line. That's not true of all of them, though. Like, you can play some of them. Like, most of the Crowdstar games, you could, you could continue to play without friends. Friends were a bonus, not a, pen, not a punishment. Um, we, we, you know, all of our founders come from Crowdstar and from Siblings, which is like a sister company to Crowdstar. So we kind of learned that, like, if you treat your fans right, you may not get as many of them right away, and you may not make as much money, but your games will stay around. Like Happy Pets was a game where we really spent a lot of time trying to make our fans happy, and it's now like one of Crowdstar's top games, even though it was kind of in the middle for a while. And it's because no one left. Like people still play it. The same people who played it two years ago play it today. So we're kind of going for that, like we want, we want more games like Pawn Stars. We want games that last a long time. And we try to give bonuses. We're actually working on some features right now that will give bonuses to having friends but they're not going to take away anything that you that you already had. Nice. Well, since we hear the the excitement in the background, I should spend a few minutes talking about Fifth Column, which really looks like a fun place to work because I see pictures of floating balloons and people doing all sorts of interesting uh, uh, relaxation uh, items, uh, going to events and things like that. What what kind of company is it? And and how, uh, I guess, creative can you be there, and what sort of environment is it at Fifth Column? It's, it's funny that's a response to the, uh, to the hooting you heard. I think that was a homeless man screaming from outside the window, oh. not actually a <laughs> fun company event. Okay. But in general, I, you know, we're, we're, we're a place of business in the sense that, like, we do a lot of work. Like, it is... It's a, it's a small company. It reminds me of my page 44 days. There's a lot of work to be done. Everybody here has tons of responsibility. Like, everybody's working a lot. Um, that said, like, we, we built this company in order to have a place for people to work where they can enjoy their jobs, where they can do what they believe in. We spend a lot of time and effort trying to make sure that people have what they want and are happy. Um, we have companies, sometimes we play D&D, or sometimes we go and play rock band, sometimes we have a dance party. We do whatever people feel like. Um, and we definitely try to have fun. If somebody's burnt out, they go home, they, they, they get it out of their system. We don't say you have to be at your desk. It's like we want people to be functional, we want them to be happy. We switch people around projects in order to try to keep them happy when they start to get kind of irritated by what they're doing. Uh, the founders are the people who have the most experience like slaving away at a project for months and months and months and we're usually the ones who take on the like the worst parts of the job but we're happy to do it kind of because we we, we really enjoy all those pieces like our, our, our poor CTO uh, Adam has to do so many like you know integrations with other people's API's which is like the engineering word for misery <laughs> um, and he does them all because we don't want to, no one, no, we haven't hired the person who likes to do that yet, so we don't give it to anyone else. Um, so we, we definitely, like, we ask people every quarter, and when we detect it more often than that, like, what can we do to move them around to make them happy? What can we add to the company to help people, like, feel less burnt out and enjoy their job? And the first time I slept at work at this company, was during Pawn Stars, and everyone was really happy to be there. Like, it was one of those all-nighters where it's, like, fun, and you're all enjoying it. And it, we definitely get a lot of comments like, 
like, ah, I wish, like, I wish I had something to do so I could stick around tonight. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's it's definitely like it 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 feel like we're achieving our mission of making a good place to work, um, but it's still a place to work. Like that, that's important to us to like remember that we have milestones and deadlines. And if we didn't, we would love for people to do whatever they want. But at the end of the day, if they do whatever they want, there's a chance that we won't be able to pay them tomorrow. So we are we do have producers and we do project manage and make sure people are doing their work. And we you know we have performance reviews and stuff like that. Seems balanced. I don't we know. Do, we do as well as we can. <laughs> what new projects do you have in development? And I hear rumors of something called Germ Fever. Right. So Germ Fever is an interesting project because that's the project we're partnering with Grion. Ah. And there's, I'm not actually sure what we're supposed to say or not say about our partnership with Grion. But germ fever has been around a long time, so I can talk a bunch about that. Like germ fever was the project I developed with my brother Sean at AntMesh before I even had a consulting uh, during my consulting gig with uh, with A and E, like two years ago. It was originally designed as like I want to build an engine, I want to build relationships with platforms, I want to build business relationships, and to do that you have to build a product. It's always my belief that without a product nothing you do means anything. Like, you can't build an engine without a product. Uh, so I decided I would make a game. I sat down one day and I designed a game that was a sort of a pu action puzzle game. It was sort of supposed to be somewhere between Fruit Ninja and Bejeweled. It turned into something like Chain Reaction, Missile Command, Fruit Ninja with some other pieces together. It the, the, doesn't have a strong monetization strategy, although it does have one, and it's gone through several iterations to strengthen it. Um, but it's mainly just supposed to be a game that's fun and not that hard to make. Um, we built it, it was built before anybody else was there. It's basically been done, sound art and everything for a long time, except for the new UI stuff. Uh, it's a Facebook flash game. Um, when we were talking to Gree, well, uh, yeah, Gree had an interest in making that game because they want some, they want content soon. And without going into too much detail, like, that was the soonest thing we could deliver, and they like that. And they have faith in it. They have faith in their abilities. They, if you read their press and if you talk to them, they have a lot of faith in their ability to make something, you know, make something out of it. And, you know, they are definitely experts in that field. We are too, and we believe in this game in some ways, but they believe in it in others, and we want to like collaborate with them to try to turn it into something that will make good money, even though it was really designed more to be just a fun game. To sort of, it's it's the beginning of a code base more than anything else. But it is it is a fun game. Like I'm a designer more as much as I'm an engineer, and it was I spent a couple of weeks just designing it and cleaning it up and iterating on it and making it as fun as I could. What's the germ connection? Well, I mean, you know, when it was in when it was being developed, it wasn't about germs. It was just sort of a shapes chain reaction game. Uh, the idea of the, the 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 plot of the game, so to speak, is that you are the body's anti-immune system, or you're you're the body's immune response system, and there are germs floating around in what looks like the inside of a blood vessel or something. And you click and you pop out these little antibody-looking things, and the antibodies hit the germs, and the germs explode into more antibodies, hmm. which is exactly how the body works. Don't look it up. Um, <laughs> so you, uh, the, the antibodies follow the mouse. So you click, and then they sort of move, and you can get them to move around, and they, they persist for maybe a second to three seconds before they fade out. But they hit a germ, and that germ shoots fresh ones out, and then you drag it, and you, you move the mouse, and they slide around in sort of a, a fun little physics simulation, uh, trying to hit, and you try to make them hit the next germ. You could shoot as many as you want, but you get big points for when you hit one, you get like 100 points, but if you then use their germs to hit another one, you get 200 points, and then 300, then 400, then 500. So it's a puzzle game, not really but it's like an action puzzler in the sense that you see things flying around the screen and you try to figure out where you can click to hit the most number of things in a chain reaction. I see. And the germ thing is just basically I wanted a theme that worked well with the, the scope of it, the screen of it, made it feel... And, and honestly, I, I didn't want to do zombies because that's what everyone said I should do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. You're I don't like, know. I will build your immune system, not kill you. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's weird because it's called germ fever, but what you're really trying to do is cure germs. You're killing germs. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it makes for a lot of fun metaphors. You have your different germs. Uh, the art style, I, I took, um, I, I scanned through a bunch of, uh, like, Google image searches of actual pictures of different, like, bacteria and germs and diseases and, and immune responses and an antibodies and different parts of the, you know, subatomic stuff. And if you look at those pictures, they're all amazing because they always use these crazy dyes to get the, the colors so that you can see any contrast. So everything's these bright greens and beautiful reds, and they're all these really complex-looking shapes. So it really made it for an interesting art style. Nice. All right. Well, we're getting close to closing. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we do? Um, uh, probably not. I mean, no, nah, no. Nah. Okay. Very good. A big thank you to Andrew. You can find him at c5games.com. Yeah, LinkedIn, Facebook, I don't know, the website. If you, if, I'm sure that if you search for Fifth Column Games, you'll find some information about us, but we're, you know, we're, we, we like our jobs, but we're not a big deal. So, you know, <laughs> Oh, I wouldn't okay. say that. We had plenty of responses when I did a search for, for Ruth Gollum games. Yeah. But probably a lot of them were a British board game company of the same name. So. Oh really? No, yeah. no, I, I didn't run into that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, if you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, <laughs> at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. And as per usual, the Gray Area Podcast is entirely funded by listener donations. This means you. So if you like the show and you're amused and you want to hear other shows, please go to Genesee.com where you will find a bunch of brightly colored buttons on the right-hand side with different donation item numbers. And you can choose your own or you can pick from one of those if you just want to. But I thank you for your donations and for your iTunes reviews. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to GeneseeGray at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week with a new episode. This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to SignalsMedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really?